Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. I'm coming to you five days after the New York Jets' most recent loss to the Denver Broncos at home at Life Stadium. They lose on Thursday night football, 28-37. to And there's plenty of stuff to be disappointed in about this game. Tons of sloppy play, lots of injuries on the Jets' side. We had some really bad penalties. I mean, a lot of them. Bad ones. There's plenty of reasons to be negative about a team that's 0-4, doesn't appear to be on the verge of winning any games, and has a coach that frankly, could have been fired after this game and wasn't. But I'm trying to think, what are some positive things? What are some things that we can be excited about as the New York Jets? All right, number one, this was the most exciting and entertaining game that I've seen from the Jets all season long. Sure, the competition was lower than that of the teams we've played earlier this year. But the Jets came out, they made some big plays, not only on offense, but also on defense. They were in there at the very end of the game, and when it came down to it, we were 15 yards away from winning this one. 15 yards. On Thursday night football, we've watched some really, really bad New York Jets product this year. And there was plenty of bad in this one. But there was more good than we've seen. So that first positive. Number two, we should just be happy to be watching football right now, right? We've had games postponed already. We've seen the Titans and Steelers have to postpone. We're seeing the, the game of the uh, Patriots versus the Chiefs was moved back to a Monday. I mean, this is not a season where you're just guaranteed to play 16 games as scheduled. And right now, I think it's a bit of a reminder that we're lucky to be watching football in 2020. And I don't know how many games the New York Jets are going to play this year, how long the season will last, or what's coming up from this COVID season. But we are playing football, and that's something to be excited about. Also, if you're going to be a bad, non-competitive team most weeks, wouldn't you want to do it in like a weird asterisk type of season like this one? Like, we're not even positive where the season's going to go. And yeah, if I'm going to punt one season away, I'll choose this one. This would be the season that I would trade good players away, acquire draft assets. And then on top of that, everybody's predicting the salary cap is going to go down for next year, which definitely will. The New York Jets have more salary cap space than really any team in the league and a ton of flexibility with it. So this is the type of thing that you can be excited about for the New York Jets. But we do have to talk about the loss in this one we got a lot of stuff coming up in this. We're going to break down the first quarter of the season. We're going to look at the second quarter of the season, check it on the AFC. We're going to go through the position groups as always, a little what's on tap. Um, and then we're going to preview the Cardinals game coming up next week. All of that and more coming up this week on This is the Jet Life. But first, before beginning, i got to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. You can find it under the Gang Green Nation podcast, but you already know that because you're listening to it right now. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan for more random thoughts and Jets content throughout the week. All right, let's get into this one. Quick game recap. This game starts, huge play by Sam Darnold, 46-yard run where the Broncos are afraid to tackle him, think he's about to slide. He goes down there and looks like a superstar early on. Jets are wearing their stealth black you and he's looking sweet, scoring that huge highlight touchdown. I must, must have watched that thing 10 times by now. Crazy good play. Excitement up early. Then the New York Jets kind of start to fall flat a little bit. Brett Rippon 
third string quarterback for the Broncos gets in a bit of a groove in this one. We never sack him in this game, so he's pretty comfortable for the whole thing. Now, he didn't have a great game, but, you know, he's a third string quarterback. And one thing I want to say about that is everybody say, you know, hey, they're playing against the Broncos with a third string quarterback. In reality, Jeff Driscoll was healthy. We saw him. He would be their second string quarterback. If you're playing your third string quarterback over your second string in week four, wouldn't you almost consider Brett Rippon to be the second string quarterback and Jeff Driscoll the third? Isn't that kind of the way that they just structured the depth chart? You know, at the end of the day, whatever. It's, uh, but they chose Rippon over Driscoll and Rippon played all right. He had some picks at the end of the game that got the Jets back into it. Moved the ball downfield. I mean, they picked on Pierre Desir in this one a lot. We're going to talk about him later. Uh, McManus was a, had a great kicking game. Ficken was great, but McManus was just as good and kept them in this one. And, you know, with a lot of penalties, some sloppy play, really, really short yardage offense for the New York Jets. Um, it was tough. It was tough for them to score. Luckily, the defense bailed them out at the end of the game, got them back in it. The Jets have a lot of work to do. And the Denver Broncos are not a horrible team, but they're banged up. They're super injured right now. They're working through a lot of new new pieces and players, and they're finding a way to get a rhythm and came out and beat us. I mean, we had no turnovers in this game, and still they find a way to beat us by nine. So, you know, this wasn't the one that we were hoping for. We were hoping Thursday night football, this was going to be the game that we came out and played our best football of the year, and we did, but it wasn't enough to win. The Broncos somehow put up 37 points. It seems kind of mind-boggling to look at that number and be like, 37 points? Melvin Gordon had that touchdown at the end of the game, which was, I mean, the Jets were looking for a stop at two minutes to go and three timeouts. They needed to stop Melvin Gordon. He goes up the middle. Everybody converges in the middle. He bounces outside. Good block from Brett Rippon on Lamar Jackson on the left side. Gordon takes it house. They go up two scores, and the Jets don't get that chance to take it back and potentially try to win the game. I did think that uh, Sam Darnold had... Arguably his best game of the year. He did have a combined 300 yards plus for himself, and that was good. We got a few more pieces back in the receiving game. Getting Jamison Crowder back was huge. We had a Jeff Smith who we hardly even know, but he's back on the team. He had a good camp, and he flashed in this game. I think some defensive players looked all right, some young guys, definitely some people to evaluate. So we'll do player performances coming up, but first I want to talk about team stats because across the board in this one, it was very even. I mean, it was pretty similar to what you would see from the New York Jets. We always have more penalties than our opponent. In this week, we had 11 for 118. The Broncos had 8 for 94, which is a lot. The Jets have 11 for 118, and six of those are personal fouls. I mean, the, the discipline level was extremely low in this game, and I know that the Jets are fed up. I know that Greg Williams is trying to get something going on defense and just yelling at these guys, you know, give me something. And the people are pissed off. They haven't won a game yet. This is national TV. Everybody's laughing at this team, calling them the worst in the league. And you want to go out there and prove something against a guy like Brett Rippon. They're trying to hit him early. They're trying to get a little extra on him, make him uncomfortable, which I get. That's Greg Williams' MO. Not to hurt the quarterback like in the past, but just to make a guy like this uncomfortable, just to make a player who's seeing the field for almost the first time in his career at the NFL level, just make him think again. Make him worried about the people coming off the edges. Realize that he's about to get hit. Unfortunately, they weren't getting back there quick enough. So a lot of those hits were coming after he'd already gotten rid of the ball. Penalties for that. And they were they were horrible. They really kept the Jets from winning this one. First downs, basically even. Jets had three less. When you look at total yards, Jets had 321. Broncos, 359. The big issue in this one. Because when you look at it, passing yards, 192 for the Jets, 242 for the Broncos. 
Rushing yards, 129 for the Jets, 117 for the Broncos. The big issue in this game is the New York Jets are averaging 3.8 yards per pass compared to the Broncos' 7.8 yards per pass. I mean, in this game, the Jets are running for 5.4 yards per rush. They're on average rushing for more yardage than they're throwing for, which should never be the case. 3.8 is embarrassingly low. And that's not all sound all on Sam Darnold. He got sacked six times in this game. So he was uncomfortable back there. Didn't have a ton of time to make his throws. Doesn't have his full plethora of receivers getting open downfield like he normally would. But the game plans, the calls, just short yardage play after short yardage play. I mean, in the fourth quarter of this game, I think with eight minutes to go, they set a stat that the New York Jets were averaging third and 8.2 to go. They were averaging 8.2 yards to go on third down. I mean, Adam Gase, I don't know why, because we're not good at third downs, but he must love that third and long playbook. Because he keeps putting us in situations. He runs up the middle, you know, Frank Gore, low yard per carry efficiency. Run him up the middle, as we always do. Put yourself in a third and long situation, and then don't convert. In reality, in this game, the Jets were a little bit better on third down than usual. They were 8 for 19, so they were hovering closer to 50% than they've been. The Broncos were at 50%, 6 for 12. But you can see, the Jets, 8 for 19. I mean, we had 7 more third down attempts than the Broncos. They were moving the ball down the field much faster than the Jets. They have more yards in this game and 7 less third downs. Those are positions that Adam Gase is putting the Jets in time and time again. And my biggest issue with Adam Gase when you watch a game like this is... It's really weird that we have gone through at least five running backs, like 10 different receivers, four tight ends. Our offensive line has shifted all around. And somehow, every single game plan looks almost identical. You would think that you would have some sort of game plan structured to specific player skill sets. Like, hey, Jeff Smith is much faster than the receivers that we've been playing earlier this year. Perhaps we get him the ball in space. Perhaps we do some end arounds, some trickery behind the line of scrimmage stuff. But no, between Le'Veon Bell, LaMichael Pirine, and Frank Gore, Kalen Balazs, and Josh Adams, you'd think that when you're giving them different receivers the ball, perhaps you have a different style of running. No, it's always right up the middle, basically the same play between the one and two hole. And it's it's just kind of mind-boggling that <laughs> there's no change for all these different players that we've had to play in a year where you know one guy goes down, next guy goes down. Just play to your player's strengths. Don't call the same stuff, especially when the same stuff isn't working with the starting unit, it's probably not going to be much better with the backup unit. So that's my big issue with him in this one. When it comes to Greg uh, Greg Williams, the big issue with him is the discipline. And, uh, and yeah, but what can you do? We're blitzing. We're trying to put as many people as we can on Brett Rippon and still getting minimal pressure. I mean, that's the case basically every game for this New York Jets defense. Very minimal pressure with a lot of blitzing. And that's kind of the worst combo that you could have, sending extra players to quarterback and getting to him less. Hopefully they start writing the ship as the year goes on. We've only gone through one quarter of the season. We have plenty more to go. So with that, let's take a look at the first quarter of the season because like Bill Parcells, we like to look at the thing in chunks, quarters of the season. The New York Jets start the quarter of the season 0-4. We were hoping to be 2-2. At worst, 1-3. They are not. They win none of their games 0-2 at home, 0-2 away. The losses are to the Bills, Niners, Colts, and Broncos. The Jets scored 65 points in the first quarter. They gave up 131 points against. So they are being more than doubled in the scoring department. 
Very, very ugly stat. We have basically the worst offensive production in the league. If you look at the numbers, we're 31st, 32nd in almost any single measurable offensive statistical category. The defense is a little bit better, but not much. They're in the 20s still. Somehow, though, when you look at it, the New York Jets have a plus one turnover differential. Luckily, we've not been fumbling the ball. Sam Darnold, although he had a few bad interceptions, he still hasn't thrown too many this season. And the New York Jets are capitalizing on plays here and there. They are getting interceptions and uh, and keeping the Jets plus one in the turnover differential department. That's basically the only positive when you look at the statistics and numbers for the New York Jets' first quarter. So now with that over, let's take a look at the second quarter of the season. Coming up, the New York Jets will be playing the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Bills, and the Chiefs. All those games are going to be 1 p.m. except for the Chargers game. That'll be a 4 p.m. game. When you're looking at this one, that that slate of teams there, that's difficult as well. They're combined for 10 and 6, which is a quality group of teams. Cardinals 2 and 2. The Chargers are struggling right now, but the Bills 4-0, the Chiefs 4-0. I mean, you're looking at another scenario where if you can't pull off a game or two against the Cardinals and the Chargers, I mean, you may you could easily end the second quarter of the season without a win as well. Next week is potentially our best chance to get one. I think the Chargers would be possible as well. It's hard to imagine this team beating the Bills or Chiefs. So potentially another difficult stretch of football. And I'm going to be honest with you, the third quarter of the season is difficult, and the fourth quarter of the season is difficult. There's really no soft spot of the schedule except for maybe back-to-back games against the Dolphins with a bye week sandwiched in the middle. That's really like the one little grouping where you can say, eh, it's not so bad there. Maybe this Cardinals-Chargers one-two punch. But it's tough. This is a tough schedule. And you know what? Like we were saying earlier, like if you're going to be a bad team, why not this year when it's like the weirdest NFL season you've ever seen? If you're going to have a bad year, like let's play the hardest teams in the league. Let's get a lot of these teams out of the way because we won't have to play the Chiefs again next year. And we won't have to play the Seahawks and the Niners and the Rams again next year. So potentially there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. All right, so before moving over to the team uh, performance, you know, the player performances in this one, let's take a quick look at the AFC East where we check in on our rivals. The Bills, as we mentioned, are 4-0. They haven't lost a game yet, and they're looking good. Josh Allen is having arguably an MVP season. Stephon Diggs is, as advertised, came to that team and provided a huge spark. I mean, something that I would have loved to have had on the New York Jets. A spark like that on the offense and just seamlessly enters right in. Their O-line's getting better. Devin Singletary's a good young runner. And their defense is solid. That's a team, you know, they're kind of like in the same situation as the Jets. They weren't a great team. Average, middle of the pack. They drafted a young quarterback in Josh Allen. We draft Sam Darnold. Unfortunately, we miss in free agency. We miss in the draft. We fire coaches and GMs. The whole team goes downhill, but the Bills have structured something pretty nice. They got their same front office and coaching staff, and it's just building nicely around Josh Allen to be a good team. That's kind of exactly what we were hoping was going to happen at this point for the New York Jets. That was McCagnan's plan. Unfortunately, bad drafting and signings kept us from being there, and we are arguably the worst team in the NFL right now. But, you know, for future <laughs> for future plans for uh, ownership in the front office, I mean, that's the kind of structure and the kind of building that you need around a young quarterback to be successful. When you go down a team, the New England Patriots, they're 2-2. Two and two. They've beaten the Dolphins, and they beat the Raiders, but they've had troubles with the Seahawks and the Chiefs, and that's to be expected. So the really good teams... They've struggled with. They've beaten up on the bad teams. It's hard to tell exactly where they are right now. Clearly, they're not 
you know, the class of the AFC. They're not the number one. They haven't overtaken the Chiefs. I know they don't have Cam Newton playing in this game, and they held Patrick Mahomes to a very pedestrian-style game. But in reality, the Patriots just aren't quite there. They're a 2-2 two and two team, and they're fighting to make the playoffs right now. You got the Miami Dolphins at 1-3. and three. It looks like they're probably out of the playoff picture. They don't look so hot this year. They did pull that one win off with Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Jaguars, but it looks like sooner than later, Tua maybe moved into this thing because as he's getting healthier, you don't have much future with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and for them, it's going to come down to evaluating Tua. It's going to come down to the whole AFC East evaluating Tua because this guy could be our competition for the next 10 years. We've already got Josh Allen there. You bring in Tua, and, you know, it, it could be more tough competition in the AFC East. So those are guys to keep an eye on. And the Jets still in the basement where they began the year, where they will finish the year 0-4. So that's what's up with the AFC East. And now, one last order of business, a quick little pit stop at the cooler for what's on tap. And today, I am drinking something odd. This is something that I picked up for the Thursday night football game. It's called Madala Light. I've never heard of it before. It is listed as a Cervecera de Puerto Rico. It's basically like a 4.2% lager. It kind of tastes like a like a Budweiser, maybe a little bit more golden-y. A very basic, old-school, lager type of beer. The funny thing about this Madala Light is that it comes in a 10-ounce can. So it's like super small. You can have like two or three, no problem. And it's, uh, yeah, it's like the size of those, you know, the mini Pepsis or like Sprites that you can buy. It's like that. It's a super crushable little can. And, you know, if you just want to have something quick, a little boost, it's perfect. So that, as I have a bunch of these left over, I didn't know what it was. That's why I bought it. I was like, what, what is that? A, you know, 12 pack of these little micro cans. There's nothing special about it. I am not recommending it. I'm just simply drinking it. All right. Now, before moving over to player performances, commercial. All right. Welcome back. It is time to talk player performances in the Jets Broncos game, and we will begin with the quarterback position. Sam Darnold in this game had low completion percentage. He was 23 for 42, so close to 50%. He only threw for 230 yards, which is nothing crazy, but considering he was sacked six times, had tackles in and out of the game, tons of moving parts all game long. And he also, in this game, happened to get slammed down for what should have been a personal foul. Still pretty pissed about that. But he got an AC joint sprain in his shoulder. So he leaves the game, and you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, he's not going to come back. Joe Flacco comes in, goes two for two, 16 yards, but is like, it's like a third and 20 situation, so that's all just garbage yards where they're not moving the sticks. All of a sudden, Sam Darnold emerges from the tents, from the uh, locker room, and comes back, and he grabs his helmet, and you're like, is this guy coming back in the game? And he does, like a hero. Sam Darnold returns and plays the game with the shoulder sprain. Now, he may not be able to play against the Cardinals. He may not be able to play the week after that. I'm not entirely sure. His status is entirely questionable right now. But the fact that he's that injured and came back to try to win this game, it just shows you how much he cares about this team. And it's part of the reason that I love him so much. He only throws for 230 yards, but he runs for an additional 84 yards on six carries. One of those, the 46-yarder that we mentioned earlier, a highlight play, one of the best of the season, one of the longest quarterback runs or even any position runs of the season. That was awesome for Sam Darnold, and it wasn't just the 46-yarder. He had an additional 38 yards on top of that on five more carries. 
and he was moving the ball pretty well. He was doing what he had to do. And even though he'd sprained his shoulder and he was in pain, he was still going there. He was still getting every single yard he could on the sideline before sliding. And I saw a lot of guts from him. Was it the best performance in the world? No. But he didn't turn the ball over in this game. He didn't make, I mean, he had one almost picked off ball at the end of the game, but he didn't make any horrible decisions. He moved around the pocket, even though he was under duress all game long. So mentioning the injury, Sam Darnold is questionable for the next game and possibly even a game or two after that. Joe Flacco is the guy that they're going to be inserting into the starting lineup if Sam Darnold misses any time. What I think is interesting is in this week, they picked up Mike White, brought him back onto the Jets team, and he's a player that's been you know, the third option, sometimes the second option when Joe Flacco was injured for the Jets this year. Bounced around. He's never really played at the NFL level, but, you know, he's kind of competed with David Fales, and I think at this point it looks like he's beaten out David Fales, which shouldn't be hard because Fales is you know, the worst quarterback any of us have ever seen in our lives. But what's interesting to me is that James Morgan, the quarterback that the New York Jets drafted in the fourth round of this, isn't even in the conversation to be the backup quarterback to Joe Flacco. You're hearing nothing about James Morgan, and it's possible that he suits up there, but it looks like Mike White, like, why bring this guy back onto the team? You're talking about Sam Darnold, Joe Flacco, James Morgan, and Mike White. And it's possible that David Fales has been in the mix this year as well. But that puts James Morgan at, like, the number four quarterback. And if you're drafting a guy in the fourth round, you should be able to compete for third-string quarterback and be that guy. I should be able to take that position over. This is Mike White, a non-NFL quarterback who has no future in the NFL as anything more than what he is right now, bouncing up and down off of a practice squad. And it just really is an indictment on his skill. If at this point, it's only been four weeks, sure, but you didn't draft him as an undrafted quarterback. You drafted him in the fourth round. You said, we got to get this guy. When other teams weren't looking at him, he wasn't projected to be drafted around there. Joe Douglas said, we want this guy. We got to bring him into the team. All right. Well, this guy that you got, maybe he's a project quarterback, but you know what? Project quarterbacks are third stringers, and sometimes third stringers have to play. You throw them out there. You don't just keep bouncing. I don't know. Whatever. At the end of the day, James Morgan will probably play very minimal snaps for the New York Jets in his career, and uh, this is clearly a sign that things aren't progressing as quickly as he or others may have hoped. So that is a scoop for the quarterback position. Like we said, can't be pitched with Sam Darnold in this game. He did what he could, and it was close. 15 yards away from winning this game, like I said. Running the ball, other than Sam Darnold's performance, Frank Gore, 13 carries for 30 yards. Lots of carries, low yardage. Same story with Frank Gore. This is probably the least efficient he's been all year. 2.3 yards per carry. But it's a struggle. And then LaMichael Pirine, he gets five carries. For 15 yards. Slightly better. And then LaMichael Pirine, he gets five carries for 15 yards. That's slightly better in terms of efficiency, but at the end of the day, three yards per carry is nowhere near what the Jets are hoping for. Perhaps things would be better with their offensive line healthy. Perhaps things would be better if they ran through a different hole. But this is where we're at right now, and thanks to Sam Darnold's performance, they do get 129 yards on the ground on 24 carries. Now moving over to the receiving game, I thought this was a very, very interesting position group because we got Jameson Crowder back, who, if you remember, only played week one, and he was my offensive star of the week, week one. So you get him back for the first time, and then you bring in Jeff Smith, a guy who had like a catch or two last season for the New York Jets, and that's it. 
came back with the New York Jets this season, had a good training camp, and then had to go to IR before the season even began. Now he's eligible to play in this game. He comes out, and he looks really good right away. And possibly it's because we've been playing guys like Lawrence Cager and Braxton Berrios, Chris Hogan and Josh Malone, a bunch of no-name players that don't have great resumes, don't have crazy, you know, physical or fast skill sets, more possession-type receivers or guys that are just trying to make a name for themselves. But Jeff Smith comes out, and he is noticeably faster than basically everybody else on the field, it seems like. The guy in his first game back with the New York Jets, seven catches for 81 yards. Only targeted nine times, had those seven catches. He had a 21-yarder in this game. He got a couple big first downs. He moved the ball for the Jets. He had some low ones. He had some deep ones, some nice catches, some contested catches. And I was really impressed with his performance. I was very close to giving Jeff Smith my offensive player of the game. And I thought to myself, for a guy that's as low contract as he is, you know, a high-value player, everything that you get from him is like you're paying him nothing and getting this much output from him, it's, it's pretty exciting. That's the type of thing that you're looking for in these young guys. And perhaps Jeff Smith does have a future with the New York Jets. But when I'm looking at offensive player of the game, I couldn't keep myself from giving it to Jamison Crowder, who was clearly the best offensive player for the New York Jets in this game. He also had seven catches, but for 104 yards, he had that huge 35-yarder contested at the end of the game. He made some big first downs, and I know that he was an inch or two short on one at the end of the game that would have been huge. But other than that, I mean, this guy is a baller, and he's Sam Darnold's first choice. He was our leading target receiver in this game with 10 targets, our leading yardage receiver, our most efficient receiver, and just looked like the best offensive player. It was obvious out there. It was a one-two punch between Crowder and Smith, and Crowder was the alpha. And so for the second time in only two games play, Jameson Crowder earns offensive player of the game for the New York Jets. Aside from that, Chris Hogan, pretty quiet game, four catches, 23 yards. He's still out there. He was playing 88% of the snaps. I think that it's uh, worth note that Jeff Smith played 95% of the snaps. That was the most of any receiver for this team. Chris Hogan, he's playing 88% of snaps. That's the one guy that the Jets have to replace. I'm okay with Jeff Smith continuing to play with the New York Jets. He's shown more than Chris Hogan has this year. He's shown more than probably even Berrios has because Berrios plays the same position as Crowder. You saw him have basically no offensive involvement once Crowder came back. But Jeff Smith versus like a Josh Malone or a Lawrence Cager, we saw way more out of Smith. So I'm happy with him there. Crowder, we love him in the slot. Keep him there. The other outside guy is Chris Hogan. It's that 88% of snaps that we have to shift to a Denzel Mims, a big play Vincent Smith, or a Brashad Perriman. All three of those players would be upgrades over Chris Hogan, and that's what's going to get this offense rolling. The one last week spot in the wide receiver group. So hopefully, with some players coming back next week in week five, that's on the horizon, and we can get Hogan out of there once and for all and start getting this offense to get a little bit of rhythm, more than we've seen, with Flacco, with Sam Darnold, with Morgan White, whoever. The rest of the receivers in this game, Lawrence Cager and Barrios, they didn't have any catches. Cager went down with an injury. I'm not sure what his status is, but we'll check in on him. As guys get healthy, Lawrence Cager's role becomes more and more minimal. I mean, he had a couple nice catches for the Jets, but he didn't flash and say, like, he needs to be on this team from what we've seen from him. And when you get, like, Perriman, Mims, Smith back, now that we've got the other Smith back, eventually it's just too crowded of a room, and Cager moves back to his practice squad position. So hopefully he can heal up there. 
and uh, we wish the best for him. Then you move away from the wide receivers, the tight end group, and this is such a frustrating room. We'll start with Ryan Griffin because he had the best group of any tight end, I guess. He had three catches on three targets. But on those three catches, he totaled 10 yards. His long was four. And basically, it was just dumped to him in the flat for a three-yard gain, and then he'd fall. Dumped him in the flat, three yards and fall. One time, he had his big play, four-yarder. But nothing out of Ryan Griffin. Very slow year to start for him. But when you look at Chris Herndon, the number one tight end on this team, and if you're thinking to yourself, Chris Herndon is almost invisible out there. Is he even playing? He's playing 71% of snaps. He's playing like three out of every four snaps. Chris Herndon is on the field. And again, he gets one catch, this time for 11 yards. And it was a decent catch. And they said right away, like, oh, there it is. Now you can see Chris Herndon getting involved. It's like, no, no, let's not act like this is a trend. That was a fluke play. His best play of the entire season, that 11-yarder. And on his other two targets that he got in this game, he didn't come down with the ball. He had a horrible drop. And he is remaining in the New York Jets doghouse. He is our doghouse player of the week for the fourth straight week out of four weeks. And it's absolutely ridiculous what we're seeing from him. I mean, perhaps our expectations and the bar were set way too high. He's never really had any productivity with Adam Gase's head coach. Adam Gase has been here two years last year. Herndon was suspended and injured. This year, Herndon comes back. But, I mean, he is a non-factor. He looks like a shell of himself. He looks slow. He looks chubbier. And he can't play football at this level right now. I mean, he's like, when you were looking at the offense, who do we replace? It's Chris Herndon. And you never thought you'd be saying that, especially not this early in the year. He's got time, 12 games, to get back on track. If he's playing 71% of snaps, you hope that eventually, you know, some of the, at least counting stats, receptions, yard, anything, start to add up a little bit. But, I mean, let's check real quick. Chris Herndon on the season, he's 11 receptions for 74 yards. I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. His best game of the season was week one. He had 37 yards on six targets, or six receptions. Other than that, five yards, 21 yards, 11 yards. So Chris Herndon, super frustrating. We know that. And that's the tight end group. Going over to the offensive line, same sort of deal. Middle is weaker. Outsides are usually the strength, but Mekhi Becton's injured. He doesn't start this game. Chuma Adoga does. Fant starts on the other side. Basically, a minute into the game, Chuma Adoga is down. He's got a pectoral, some sort of injury. So he's out. Instead of putting in McDermott or Andrews, who ended up playing later in the game, they put in Mekhi Becton, who suited up in this game because it doesn't really make any sense. He wasn't healthy enough to play, but he was healthy enough like in an emergency, which to me is just like, if you're not health, healthy enough to play, then probably don't suit up because he's basically the most valuable and important player on entire offense, other than maybe Sam Darnold, who also came back and played injured. The recklessness with the injuries on this team is embarrassing. And it's part of the reason that we have so many injuries. We don't handle them well. Our medical team, our coaching, the whole lot of them, the decisions are head-scratching. We saw Avery Williamson in preseason last year go out for the entire season playing late in a game when no other starters were on the field. And Williamson's out and has put his career in jeopardy. You see Sam Darnold coming back with a sprain and playing the game. Now I want to see him out there too, don't get me wrong. 
but is it the best for him in his future? And then Makai Becton. I said before the game started, there's no way that this guy should be touching the field. If he's not healthy enough to start the game, he can't play. We can't risk it. And a minute into the game, Makai Becton's in for Chuma Adoga. And then Makai Becton's not feeling well, and you can tell that he's in a lot of pain, and we have to take him out. So then George Fan gets injured in this game as well. He came back from a concussion and then gets injured in this game. And so you're playing, like, your fourth and fifth string tackles. And, you know, it led the Jets to get six sacks against them, some penalties. And between their running backs, 45 yards on 18 carries. Sam Darnold had 84 yards, but he was scrambling for his life and doing a pretty good job at it, too. Padding the numbers a little bit. Offensive line, not a great performance. We need to get guys healthy. We need our starting group. We need George Fant and Mekhi Becton. And then we got to replace our guards. All right, so that is our offensive player performances. Now, before moving over to the defense, I usually do a section called Father Time, where my dad gives me a submission for what he thinks during the week. This week, I tried to get one from him. He's been super busy this week. I was talking to him today. We had a, a chance to catch up on the New York Jets a little bit. And he said that he wasn't going to have time to get one together. I said, that's fine. Everyone's going to understand. I said, but do you have one thing that you would make it about? If you were going to make this, what were we going to get? And he had planned a Father Time submission about the New York Jets' first win of the 2020 season, which he pinpointed this upcoming weekend against Arizona. Now, he doesn't know, as none of us know, whether or not Sam Darnold's going to play in this game. It does make a difference for sure. I think that we have a better chance if Darnold plays, and right now it's not looking super likely. But the Cardinals are a team that we can beat, and the way that, you know, in his words, the way that the injuries are coming back, the way that we're getting players like Le'Veon Bell potentially back, Mims is close, Jabari Zaniga's close, Cameron Clark, Ashton Davis, potentially Mekhi Becton could be there, big play Vincent Smith, Perriman. I mean, when you look through, like it's like potentially the perfect storm of players coming back, and if they do, and the New York Jets are just feeling frisky and feisty, and play some great football, yeah, this definitely could be their first win of the season. So I wish that we got that father time submission, but we totally get it. Dad's a busy man. He's got a job. He can't just be sitting here working for us doing father times. We get it. Thank you anyway, Dad. We can't wait to get you next week after the New York Jets get your predicted first win of the season. I can't wait to hear what you got. So now we're going to move over to the... Hey, hey, welcome back. We are going to talk defense of this New York Jets team in the Broncos game. Starting with the defensive line. Overall, this defensive line, other than week one and a, a nice performance from Quinn and Williams in week, I believe it was two, it's been a pretty quiet timeshare between these players. It's been shifted around, you know, 30%, 40% of snaps for a lot of guys like Henry Anderson, John Franklin Meyer, Steve McClendon, Lorenzo Fatakasi, Kyle Phillips, um, Bryce Huff. Quinn and Williams is the leading percentage player out there with 71%. That's the most in the D-line if you're not counting Terrell Basham. I kind of like consider Bastion a linebacker, so I'll talk about him there. But the quiet timeshare between them, they're shifting around. They're stopping a lot of the run up the middle. I know that at the end of the game, the Broncos ended with 117 yards of rushing. Melvin Gordon with 107 on 23 carries, but he had 43 yards at the very end of the game. Other than that, it was 22 carries for 60-something yards. I mean, he was getting like three yards a carry. It was not a productive game from him. I think that our defensive line, when running up the middle, is stout. I think that we have good power there. I don't think that they have good speed around the edges. I think that all these guys are very similar in their play styles, and none of them are really equipped to get after the passer, especially not without another guy next to them who can garner a double team, really. 
So it's been kind of tough sledding for this group overall. Quinn Williams has flashed, and he had a decent game in this one. But one guy really stood out to me and almost got defensive player of the game, and that's Bryce Huff. He's a guy that was drafted, undrafted player out of Memphis, number 47 for the New York Jets. And we talked about him coming into this thing, and I've talked about him on Twitter and stuff like he's. This is the type of guy that you're really looking to see good performances out of. You're evaluating these players because he's potentially a guy that's going to be part of the future for the next however many years. And it's not rare for undrafted rookies to make impacts and then remain with the team and be good starters for, you know, years and years. So Bryce Huff is finally one of those guys that we had high hopes for going into this thing. Finally gets on the field for the first time last week, but this week he plays 60% of snaps and he makes some really good plays. He snuffs out a screen pass on the right side. He gets quarterback hits. He's making tackles, running across the field, and he looks fast, he looks young, and he looks hungry. And I think that he stood out. So I'm going to keep looking to see if he can build on it. I wanted to give him player of the game, but I think somebody else had a slightly better performance. Uh, but Bryce Huff, if he can keep playing like that and be another you know, cog on that defensive line with maybe a little bit more speed, that would be awesome for this team. Other than that, like we said, Quinnen Williams, solid game from him. Pretty quiet the rest, rest of the way around. We didn't have any sacks in this game. When it came down to it, we had five quarterback hits. Two were from John Franklin Myers, who's had a pretty solid season. Two from Basham. One from Neville Hewitt. Unfortunately, we also had like three or four not counted quarterback hits that were just 15-yard personal fouls. So, you know, call it what you want. Quinn Williams almost had a really nice sack, but uh, grabbed the face mask of Brett Rippon, and instead of getting the nice sack and the nice play, got a personal foul and extended the drive for the Broncos. So that sucked. That was like a turning point of the game. I was like, oh my God, are you serious? So defensive line, solid stopping the run up the middle. Other than that, pretty quiet game. Hopefully less penalties moving forward. Linebackers, I think this is a pretty interesting group because the linebackers that we have are not very good, and the time split between them is kind of interesting. Jordan Jenkins is arguably our most talented linebacker in my mind coming into this year. He's playing 20% of snaps and he's having a really bad year. He looks slow. He looks like, uh, I don't know. He doesn't have that same like spark and that energy that he used to have that hustle where it was like, he at least gives it a hundred percent all the time. Kind of looks now like he's just dogging it slow and not really an impact player on the field. So he plays 20% of snaps. Terrell Basham's playing 73% of snaps and he's not having a very good year either. He did have the two quarterback hits, but I mean, minimal production from him. Some mistakes here and there as well. Almost had an interception. If you could have pulled that ball down. That's Basham on the other side. And then you've got like this in the middle, this mix of Alec Ogletree, who's an old veteran, who's slow. Avery Williamson, who's coming back from injury and in and out of the lineup, and you can't really tell where he's at. He's been pretty quiet. Neville Hewitt is playing 100% of snaps, who... Like last year, he was your fifth or sixth linebacker, and you were going into this year thinking that he was going to be your fifth or sixth bottom linebacker. You were going to have guys like Unwasor, Blake Cashman, C.J. Mosley, and Avery Williamson ahead of him. And instead, you're looking at it like he's the guy that's getting all the snaps. Then you mix in Harvey Lange, who's just not a very good player and has stuck around on this team for way too long. And you put that all together, and you just get like a pretty slow, inefficient, unaffected linebacking group. Just kind of where we're at with them. Defensive backs in this game. This was interesting because the Jets did a, they did two things. They had two interesting defensive, or one really interesting defensive back setup. They had three safeties in for 39% of the plays. That's more than they've done three safeties all year. And you'd think to yourself, that's probably going to be Ashton Davis's role. 
But because Ashton Davis didn't suit up for this game, it was Matthias Farley who has played minimal for the New York Jets on defense. But of course, they're looking for a spark and they're looking for a way to confuse Brett Rippon and honestly probably trying to get a little bit more speed on the field. So they're running three safety set for 39% of the game. I thought that was very interesting. Uh, when they, when it comes to nickel, Brian Pools, the Jets nickel, truly plays the slot, and he was in there for 81% of the snaps. So we played slot nickel cornerback for 81%. Outside cornerbacks, this is where it gets really interesting. You have LaShawn Austin is arguably your cornerback one. He goes down early into this game after playing 14% of the snaps. His snaps go directly to undrafted rookie Lamar Jackson, who's a guy that we've been excited for and I've been wanting to see on the field for some time, but obviously not in a situation where he's like the number one or the number two cornerback. That's a pretty big ask, even though it's against Brett Rippon. It's just like this guy's hardly ever even played. He has a pretty good game filling in for Blashawn Austin. He made a couple nice plays, a couple nice tackles. At the end of the game, he gave up a really big catch to Tim Patrick where it looked like he thought it was zone was trying to pass the receiver off on the left side, but should have stuck with him. So that was a bad read by him. And then later in the game, you know, he was the guy that was blocked by Brett Rippon for the big Melvin Gordon touchdown at the end of the game. Potentially, if he made a play there, could have salvaged the game and given Sam Darnold one more chance. So a couple mistakes here and there. But he played that 86% of snaps that LaShawn Austin would have played, just straight up. He took every one of them. And considering it wasn't that bad for an undrafted guy playing his first game. On the other side, Pierre Desir had arguably the most frustrating and one of the most entertaining games I've seen in a very long time. It seemed like Brett Rippon and the Denver Broncos' MO in this game was to throw on Pierre Desir, who is the guy that Joe Douglas brought over from the Colts to potentially be what he thought would be the cornerback one. Now, we've seen Pierre Desir has been benched already this year. He struggled at times. He did have an interception earlier in the season, and, you know, somehow he's got his way back out of the field, kind of for the, you know, lack of a better option. We don't have a ton of good cornerbacks. We know that. So you keep riding with Pierre Desir. At least he's a veteran. He is getting burned in this game. I mean, Jerry Judy basically just takes one off of his face mask and just grabs it over his head for a touchdown. They're throwing it to Tim Patrick. Whoever he's covering, they're throwing it. And he's given up touchdown after touchdown. And it's like everybody's saying to themselves, this is one of the worst cornerback performances I've ever seen. They are just literally going straight at him, and there's nothing that he can do. Now, midway through the game, Brett Rippett is rolling out, trying to throw the ball away out of bounds, and Pierre Desir makes a miraculous toe-tapping interception grab on the sideline that's like, how in the heck did this guy just catch this? At first, they called it incomplete because it was it was so ridiculous, there was no way he caught it. Then you slow it down, you see his two feet slide, and you're like, holy shit, Pierre Desir just made a play. Now, it doesn't make up for the poor plays had so far, but it helps a little bit. They keep picking on him, game goes on. Makes a couple nice tackles, I'll give him credit for that, but just getting burned and burned. And then, late in the game, he gets another interception, his second of the game, standing in the right place at the right time, takes it back for a touchdown, a pick six for Pierre Desir. And believe it or not, this guy is leading the NFL in interceptions. No other player in the league has three. It's only Pierre Desir. I mean, the way Pro Bowl voting goes, this guy may end up getting into the Pro Bowl, just based off the fact that he's going to lead the league in interceptions at this rate. But he's not playing well. And, you know, I thought about putting him in the doghouse for the performance, all the bad plays that he had. But when it came down to it, yeah, he did play horribly. But also, he was part of the reason that we were in this game. 
Like we could have put another guy out there who potentially could have gotten burned, but at least he made a couple plays. At least he made something happen. And it's an interesting sort of dilemma because people look at cornerbacks and it seems like when a cornerback doesn't get turnovers, people give him a bunch of, you know, this guy's good, but he doesn't take the ball away. It's really good to have a guy like Darrell Rivas or something, but you know, if they're not getting interceptions and really taking the ball away frequently, it's one of the most important things you can get as a cornerback, right? Turnovers. And then you get a guy like Pierre Desir who leads the league in them, but can't cover anybody in. In reality, that's not what you want either. You'd like a nice, you want a Rebus is what you want. But aside from that, you want cornerbacks that can catch. It's not super common, especially not for the New York Jets. We aren't known for getting a ton of interceptions since Cromartie left. This guy, a couple of crazy plays, and yeah, pick six for him. NFL leader. Who would have thought? We'll see what happens next week. I'm sure Greg Williams and the whole defensive unit was pissed at the way he played overall. But he may have bought himself another week with those two interceptions. So then nickel that we talked about, Brian Poole in this game, he had a pretty good game. And in reality, he only gave up a couple catches, one or two to Jerry Judy going across the middle. He had a nice pass breakup. Um, he's tackling pretty well. I think he had four in this game. But he made the interception at the end of the game that the New York Jets really needed a big play after Pierre Desir's touchdown. It was like, hey, are we actually back in this game? Brett Ripon comes back on the field. Brian Poole plays it perfectly, and this was a really nice play from Brian Poole. Gets the interception, gets the ball back for the New York Jets, and gives us the opportunity to take the lead, which we do. And that was the biggest play of the entire game. And for that reason, Brian Poole is the defensive player of the game for This is the Jet Life. You, know, you look at a Bryce Huff who made big plays, good stops behind the line of scrimmage, and uh, getting after the players, but the biggest play in the game on defense by a player that wasn't making horrible mistakes all game long was that of Brian Poole. An interception at that time, the third one of the game for the New York Jets, huge. And you can't say enough about this guy because he's been here for two years now. He always grades out well. You look at PFF grades, always good. You watch him on the field, he doesn't let you down. He plays, he's like that one constant for the Jets over these last two years. You feel good about him and he makes plays when he has to. So he's your player of the game. First time for him. Really happy for him. Safety's super quiet performance. Still not super stoked about Bradley McDougald and think that Marcus May, he had that big week one, but he's been really quiet since then, has trouble tackling. And, you know, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that safety group. It's definitely not what I thought it was going to be coming into this year. I'm definitely down on them overall. But we'll see. we got a lot more year to go. We'll see how they fare coming up. Now the last section that we got is special teams. We're going to start right with it. Special teams player of the game, no question. The kicking maniac, Sam Ficken, goes 5 for 5. And yes, he missed like a 46-yarder, but there was a penalty against the Broncos, hitting Tom Hennessy, moves the ball forward, Ficken gets another chance from like 26 yards, makes that, and then makes four more kicks after that. The long of the game, a 54-yarder. Sam Ficken hasn't missed a kick this year. A guy that I thought there's no way he should be an NFL kicker at one point. Wins the battle in the offseason. And now, he's perfect on the season. Scores 16 points for the New York Jets in this game out of their 28. 16 comes from kicking ficking. And this guy has gotten special teams player of the week four out of four weeks. And I guess that's what you expect when you're a kicker that doesn't miss. This is like a Jason Myers level season. Remember Jason Myers had that Pro Bowl season for the New York Jets, and then the Seahawks ended up taking him. When we got Jason Myers, he had had a pretty up and down and more down than up career. And it was kind of like, it was kind of bizarre that he'd played that well. 
now Ficken's doing the same thing. And it's like, we all were, I thought Ficken wasn't very good. I don't know. How long before we're like, okay, this guy's rocking and rolling. I don't know how many kickers this year haven't missed yet, but he's one of them. So good job by him. Braden Mann had a decent game. He had a couple nice punts. And then on one play where Kalen Balaj, who I should just briefly mention Kalen Balaj because I completely skipped him in the running back section. Kalen Balaj had a garbage game, missed that tackle on a special teams play that we'll talk about that in a second. Missed a big tackle, gave up two sacks, ran out of bounds. Horribly, horribly bad game from Kalen Balaj, who was a guy that just wanted to trade for at one point but wasn't healthy, and he's taken a bunch of snaps in time from Michael Pirine, getting many more snaps than Pirine, and Kalen Balaj had to be cut. Absolutely terrible player, terrible signing. He's no longer a New York Jet. Good riddance. It goes back to Pirine, Gore, hopefully Le'Veon Bell. And he picked up one more guy, I think, from the Lions, so we'll see what he can do. But, uh... The Kalen Balaj experiment is officially over. And on the special teams play, this punt by Braden Mann, Kalen Balaj misses the tackle, and they start moving upfield. Deontay Spencer is taken off on the punt. Going upfield, and Troy Aikman even says goodbye because he's he's going house. The only guy that's left to stop him is Braden Mann, who's a guy who was known for being a good tackler in college. But we haven't seen it yet. Braden Mann gets in there and makes one of the best special teams tackles you could ever see from a punter. Stops Deontay Spencer and saves a touchdown. That was an awesome play. And, you know, if Ficken wasn't five for five, we could have considered giving it to Braden Mann simply for that play and a couple good punts. But we didn't. Braxton Berrios, he had one punt return in this game for 11 yards. He hasn't had a ton of opportunity. We don't force a lot of punts. We'll start there. We've given up 131 points this year. We don't force a lot of punts. But when we do get punts, Braxton Berrios has had very minimal opportunities to return them. He finally got one this game. 11 yards, it's a nice, solid return. And if you average 11 yards on punt returns, that is well above average, and that is, you'll take that 10 times out of 10 from a punt returner. So overall, as you can see, going through the offense, the defense, and the special teams, there were definitely some bad performances in there. But there were way more good ones to talk about this week than any other week so far this year. And, you know, aside from week one where it was all just new and you were just trying to see time splits and snap percentages and and who's doing what, what you're getting asked to do. I think this was the only game that really felt like, you know, players were playing. Like, you were seeing the receivers in this game. You were seeing Crowder and Jeff Smith, and you were seeing an impact performance from guys like, you know, Pierre Desir and Brian Poole making interceptions. It just, it felt like a more complete game for the New York Jets, even though they fell in this one. And this game was really close. I mean, Sam Darnold was driving down the field at the end of the game, and they were 15 yards from field goal range before not scoring and giving the ball back to the Broncos. Had the opportunity to stop them again to get the ball back one more time. Couldn't do it. Uh, Melvin Gordon broke off that big run. But had Sam Darnold and the New York Jets, you know, well, had the Jets given him more protection for a minute and had Sam Darnold found a guy downfield and made a play, I mean, they were 15 yards away from making a kick. And in this game, I can't deny that Sam Ficken probably would have made it. And we easily could have won this game with that 15 yards. But sometimes you fall 15 yards short, you lose the game. I think it looks a little bit worse than it is being a nine-point loss. But at the end of the day, a loss is a loss. The Jets are 0-4. But I hope some people found some enjoyment in watching this game. As ugly as it was at the end of the game, no handshakes. As as messy as it was, sloppy with the penalties. Bad play by Pierre Desir. The, the injuries across the field for the Broncos and the Jets. All the stoppages. I know it was a slop fest. They said that on the broadcast. This was just one of those ugly Thursday night games. But I hope that you found... A couple of those bright spots that I found throughout the game 
and we're able to get enjoyment out of it. So the last order of business before we close this podcast out is a look ahead to the Arizona Cardinals matchup on the 10th, this Sunday, 1 p.m. at MetLife Stadium. Arizona opening as seven-point favorites, which I guess is fair because the New York Jets haven't been seven points to anybody yet this year. But the Cardinals are 2-2, two and two and they've struggled so far this year. I mean, they beat the 49ers and the Washington football team early on, but they lost to the Lions, they lost to the Panthers, and while those teams definitely have some firepower more than the Jets, they're not really scary teams. And the Cardinals have been up and down. My dad predicted this is the New York Jets' opportunity to win their first game of the season. He thinks we're going to take it. You know what? I'm with him. I think we're going to take it too. I look at this thing and my prediction for the game, New York Jets 27, Cardinals 23. I'm saying it. I'm saying the New York Jets can win this game. And that's with Flacco or Sam Darnold. I think we have a better chance with Darnold. But I think Flacco can get the job done. And maybe I should be more scared of the Cardinals. But right now, looking at the team, I'm not. Their defense doesn't scare me. They got a couple decent players. You know, Chandler Jones is a a well-known pass rusher who's been really good at it for a long time. I think he's only got one or two sacks so far this year, so a little quiet for him. They got some other guys they can get after the quarterback, like Hassan Reddick. They got a good cornerback in Patrick Peterson, who's on the, you know, the tail end of his career. And they got one really good player, Jordan Hicks, a linebacker, who makes big play after big play. Buda Baker, their highly paid safety, is banged up. If he plays in this game, it's definitely going to give them a little bit of a spark because he's one of the better safeties in the league. If he doesn't play, it favors the Jets. So you're not too afraid of that defense. It looks like when you go through the teams that we've played so far, this looks like arguably the softest defense that we've played. So an opportunity to get some good yardage. On the ground, they've given up a lot of yardage. In the air, they've given up a bunch. Potentially these guys, especially if we get... Guys like Le'Veon Bell, Brashad Perriman, Big Play Vince, Denzel Mims, any of these guys back in the offense, potentially we see a little bit of a surge from the group. Now, one thing that I want to kind of preface here that I'm worried about hearing from everybody is if Joe Flacco starts this game and he looks solid and wins it, this is not a reason to be saying that Sam Darnold would have lost the game. Sam Darnold's no good. Look at what Flacco can do when he comes in. This is a reason to believe that going into this game, the Cardinals are potentially the worst on both sides of the ball of any team that we've played so far this year. And the New York Jets should be healthier than we've been in the entire year so far. So when you talk about getting the real team playing against a not-so-great team, even though it's a backup quarterback, Joe Flacco has played in the league before. He can definitely operate on offense. And if he wins, that's just I think that's just the perfect storm for him. I think if he wins, it was a game that Sam Darnold would have won and probably would have looked better doing it regardless of Flacco's performance. That's just what I think. So other than that, when you look at the Cardinals' offense, now the New York Jets' defense has definitely struggled this year as well. We have trouble getting after the quarterback. When you look at this team, they're not running the ball very well. Kenyon Drake has been struggling. They thought he was going to have a really big year, but he's having pretty low efficiency games in terms of yards per carry. The real running back on this team is Kyler Murray. He's the guy that runs the ball the best. Kyler Murray, even though he's running the ball pretty well on the ground, He's having a down year in terms of passing. Really nothing that impressive. People were expecting him to be a dark horse MVP candidate. He doesn't look anything even close to that. He's averaging like 4.3 yards per pass as well. I think that's what he had last week. Or air yards traveled. Or, I mean, this guy is throwing it nowhere. Last week, I think he was like 8 for 12 for 35 yards in the first half. It's like, how do you throw the ball for 8 completions for 30 yards? you got to be throwing it. you got to be doing just that Ryan Griffin 3-yard play over and over again. It's like the only way that can happen. 
So you're not really afraid of them. The thing about the Jets is they're known for leaving a soft zone. Kyler Murray, what I think you got to do against this guy, because you know he wants to run and he wants to sh- throw it short with accuracy. Get it to his receivers. Number one, always DeAndre Hopkins, who he gets the ball to like over 50% of the time. So bracket him, bring a safety over to help. Marcus May should be able to do that. McDougald, if that works better. But what I want to do is I want to bring the coverage up. And even though we don't have great cornerbacks, I want to press these guys in the line of scrimmage. I want to make sure that they don't have quick three, four, five yard passes available. And I want to keep the players close to the line so that if Kyler Murray decides to scramble, he's going to have a tough time doing it. Not going to be a lot of open holes there. Now, what we would potentially be giving up in this scenario would be the deep ball. But that's something that we haven't seen a ton of from Kyler Murray yet this year. You got to keep a safety back for sure. But I think that if you can force him to make bigger plays and throw deeper outside of his comfort zone, keep him from running, keep him from short precision passes, bring everybody up, press man coverage, which is not something the Jets are good at, not something that they want to do, but something that potentially the younger guys can. I think that you force Kyler Murray to play a game that he doesn't want to play. And of course, you have to have a backup plan. If this doesn't work and he's beating you, and he's picking up big yardage plays, moving the ball downfield quickly, then yes, abort this plan, go back to, you know, play in your soft zone, trying to get pressure with five-man blitzes, six-man blitzes, and see what happens that way. See if you can outscore this team and win. But I think you have to make it difficult on him. You can't let him run all over you, and you can't let him get in a rhythm because we play that soft zone, and if he's just getting these seven-yard pass, seven-yard pass over and over the way that we give him up to a guy like Tom Brady, thing is Tom Brady, you're worried about him because he can find the guy deep, and if you leave a guy open... He's going to find him. He's going to take one-on-one chances. But aside from DeAndre Hopkins, I mean, Kyler Murray has not had much confidence in anybody else other than his own legs. So I want to see him outside of his comfort zone. I think the New York Jets can do that. I think Greg Williams will have a decent game plan for them. We obviously have to be much, much more disciplined. We need to get some of these guys back and healthy. I think it's imperative that guys like George Fant and, you know, between George Fant, Mekhi Becton, Patrick Unwasor, Blake Cashman, Big Play Vince, Denzel Mims, Rashad Perriman, Le'Veon Bell. In between all of these, Jabari Zaniga, Cameron Clark, Ashton Davis, all these guys, between them, if we can get like half of them back for this game, which is definitely possible, it's going to be a huge surge for this team on both sides of the ball because we have been missing players all year long, and a lot of them are they're ready to come back. There's not a lot of season-ending injuries on this team, not a lot of guys that aren't going to play again. But we, gotta, we really have to monitor the injury report this week. That's going to be, like, the big thing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Who's limited? Who's full? Who's playing? And please, Adam Gase, if a guy's injured, please, just give him the week off. We're 0-4. It's not worth it. If they're healthy, you got to play them. Utilize them the right way. But if they're 70% and there's risk of re-injury or further injury to a guy like Sam Darnold or Becton, I would rather them just not even be out there at all. So we will see what happens. As I said, my prediction, Jets 27, Cardinals 23. This could be a fun one. It's potentially the perfect storm for the New York Jets. We'll see if me and my dad are right. If the Jets can pull this one off and get their first win of the season at home at MetLife. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. As always, remember to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. And until next time, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 